Hello and welcome back for another episode of the Newbie Dentist Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Omid Azami. I'm excited to be back for another episode and the first one that I've recorded after all this COVID pandemic has changed how we all work and do a lot of things. And I'm really excited for the guest that I had on for this episode, which is Dr. Jessica Metcalf. Dr. Jessica Metcalf is a full-time staff dentist, education director, and clinical investigator at Princess Margaret Cancer Center in Toronto, Canada. She is an international speaker on the topics of treating the cancer patient with a special interest in head and neck cancer. And she's also a part-time instructor at the University of Toronto Dental School. This interview is one that I really enjoyed. We had the unique opportunity to speak to Dr. Jessica Metcalf, who works in the hospital setting, and to discuss how COVID affected her day-to-day work, how the hospital managed these situations, and how we think that dentistry, especially in the hospital setting, may change going forward as a result of the pandemic. Dr. Metcalf is also a coach and educator in the imposter phenomenon, and this is something that got me really excited because it is an area that I'm also interested in, an area that I know a lot of dentists may perhaps struggle with and may not have had identified as being imposter syndrome. And I think that a lot of people, as they go through and listen to our conversation in this interview, will certainly relate to different aspects of it. The imposter phenomenon and self-improvement in general is something that I'm very interested in and something that I hope to really explore beyond this interview with our future guests as well. So if there's any topics or any areas in particular that you'd like to learn more about, please reach out to me on Instagram or on Facebook, and we can try and incorporate that into the show going forward. This interview is sponsored by Ivacar Vivident. Ivacar Vivident is one of the world's leading and most innovative dental companies offering a comprehensive range of products and systems that provide you with new opportunities in dentistry for even more aesthetic and efficient results and better dental care for your patients. Making people smile is what they do. And to find out more about Ivoclar, their products and educational courses available through their new academy, head over to ivoclarvivident.com.au. As always, if you're new to the Newbie Dentist podcast, be sure to subscribe on iTunes or on Spotify. And if you've enjoyed the podcast or previous episodes, it does mean a lot if you could head over to iTunes and give the show a five-star rating or and leave a review because it does improve the exposure of the podcast so other people can find it and get value from it as well. Without further ado, I hope you enjoyed this amazing interview with Dr. Jessica Metcalf. Welcome to the Newbie Dentist Podcast, giving a voice to young clinicians worldwide. The Newbie Dentist Podcast aims to be the dental industry leader in in-depth, informative and motivational interviews with some of the world's leading clinicians, academics and experts with your host, Dr. Omid Azami. So I'm here with Dr. Jessica Metcalf, who has kindly agreed to join us after a long day at the hospital working and as promised to deliver some great content on a lot of things that we'll get into today. Jessica, thank you so much for being on. I've heard about you through some mutual contacts and things that we've had over the you know past few months, and I've been excited to kind of talk to you. So it's going to be a good chat today. I think we can cover a lot of ground and give a lot of value to some of the listeners out there. So normally, 
as you said, you've listened to a couple of these. Normally, how I like to start these things is just a bit of an origin story. So if you can kind of take me back a little bit, tell me about why you chose to get into dentistry in the first place, kind of what motivations you had, and then we'll talk, we'll pick things up from there. Yeah, for sure. Thanks so much for having me. I'm really excited. Um, so back definitely when I was 14, like age old story of, of, I feel like becoming a dentist at times is my family member. So my aunt, she is a dentist and my parents were like in grade nine, you know what? Take your kids to work a day. My mom was a stay-at-home mom. My dad uh, was an accountant. And so they're like, go sit, go hang out with your aunt. And so I was like, okay, yeah, this is fantastic. So I went and I remember falling in love with dentistry at that point in time. And from there on, from the age of 15 to 20, I was receptionist at her office. So I got to see the business side and I got to interact with patients. And from there, it was always like, okay, strive for dentistry, strive for dentistry. And so through undergrad, pushing through, and then went to Boston University for dental school, came back in 2015 to Toronto, where I did a Mount Sinai residency. And then, which brings me to today of being full-time staff dentist and education director at Princess Margaret Cancer Center in Toronto. That's pretty cool. So what was that? What was it early on that you kind of went into that practice in like grade nine and, and kind of were drawn to dentistry? It was the interaction with patients and the way they left my aunt's office or operatory, so excited for their smiles and so happy that they could leave there. Like you could just tell that innate reaction from when a patient leaves the office and is so happy with that smile yeah. that you realistically, you could just tell them like that they're going to sit in their car for the next little bit and like peer at the, <laughs> into the mirror and like check their, check their smile. And just knowing like even those patients where they were getting new dentures or new veneers or adjusting, just got their braces off. You could just tell when they were leaving that they were just so excited. And I am such a happy person. You will always catch me laughing and smiling. And I, and I thought to myself, if I can not only make people laugh, but if I can make a difference, whether it's me sitting and communicating with them or being able to affect the way that they smile, then I'm game. And this is what I would like to do. That's pretty cool. And I've, I've covered this, you know, a little bit with some previous guests before. What was your decision coming out of the uh, Boston College or Boston University? Boston uh, University. Boston University to pursue a GPR versus like, you know, just entering into private practice. Right. So originally the plan was when I left uh, Boston University that I wanted to treat special needs patients under general anesthetic. And it's very interesting where your path leads. And I remember one of my rotations in fourth year where I went to a pediatric rotation where we were in the operating room. And I thought it was incredible that extractions, restoration, stainless steel crowns, all done all at once in that yeah. two, three hours. And I thought this is absolutely incredible. And so I started to look into potential programs for treating special needs patients. And 
uh, through, again, talking with Boston University professors, they'd informed me about the program in Toronto. And so I thought, okay, definitely need to look into this and migrated my way back to Toronto. And then interests kind of changed a little bit. And I fell in love with oral surgery and I applied to oral surgery two years in a row out uh, during GPR residency and then afterwards and didn't get in, but then was offered this position at Princess Margaret Cancer Center. Yeah. And it feels everything that I've ever wanted, where it's the medicine aspect, it's the dentistry aspect of it, and it's the complexity that comes with treating the cancer patient. So very different from private practice. I did dabble in private practice uh, for a bit at my aunt's office as well for the first couple of years, but fully transitioned over to soul treating uh, the cancer patient at the cancer center. Interesting, because you you know you said uh, of your personality type being like happy and always laughing and yeah. I've, this past year, I've kind of you know we we're talking about before in the uh, interview pre interview that I've been, been back into the hospital system and doing some hospital dentistry as well, and especially with either the special needs or you know the cancer patients and things, it is tough like emotionally to because they're coming in they're like in a bad spot obviously and you know obviously our our role is to try and help them out and get them through and and provide the services and things that we can to help them how do you cope with that kind of like emotional burden and stress like seeing these patients all the time right so i have a great team at the hospital that makes a huge difference we're able to lean on each other a lot we go over all of our cases together so just as if there's head and neck rounds Uh, We do our own dental rounds outside of that. So there's a consistency with treatment and that the patients ultimately are getting what they need to prepare themselves pre-treatment. And so this is where it differs a little bit from private practice in the sense that we tend to potentially be a bit more aggressive because we're looking down the line uh, with osteoidonecrosis, post-radiation carries, specifically for the head and neck patients and where radiation doses will be. So I rely on my team a lot for that. Um, I take home, regardless of your experience, whether you're in private practice or in the hospital, you take home that personal experience on whatever that patient brings to your office as well. And there are definitely days that are more difficult than others, but ultimately... I can see that the patients are grateful that I'm able to help them and get them ready for their treatments. So that's a huge aspect of it. And knowing that I get to see them pre, during, and post and help them along the way the entire time. And from their side, they know that I'm there. That makes it all worthwhile at the end of the day. Now, outside of the hospital... (laughs) (laughs) I do jujitsu. Yeah. <laughs> so in a controlled environment, yeah. I get to beat people up. Yeah. <laughs> so that definitely helps a lot. And the great thing about that aspect of it is I get to walk into that gym studio and I have to be solely focused on what I'm doing. Otherwise, there's a potential that I could injure myself. Yeah. And so there's definitely a balance with who your uh, group of individuals that you can lean on are, the patient themselves, you personally, from when you go home, 
And then physical activity makes a huge difference for all mental um, health and wellness. And so making sure that's incorporated plays a huge part of it. So it's like a pie chart essentially, right? And anytime one kind of takes over the other, then you may lose a little bit of balance, but it's finding what works for you at the end of the day, whether it's meditation or leaning on friends or finding a mentor, that's extremely important. That's great. That's a great answer. I mean, you covered a lot of the main points that I think are really important and really valuable for people to take away from. One cool thing about the hospital setting, like they touched on as well, is the team, which I found was really lacking in private practice when you're kind of just by yourself in a, in a room and just have some, you know, yes. you have some nurses and things like that to lean on, but having a team of like, you know, clinicians and things they can you know, bounce ideas off of or go to for support is pretty cool. And one of the main draws of, I guess, hospital dentistry or even like, you know, oral surgery, special needs dentistry, those types of hospital based specialties are pretty cool in that regard because you're not isolated in that way. And yes. obviously it's great that you have a healthy habit of dealing with stress and that's exercise because <laughs> a lot of people, a lot of people, you know, fall into the wrong habits and things. And then that their coping yes. mechanisms, they, they lose that center as well. So it's really, it's really cool that uh, you're advocating for exercise and, and hitting people in a controlled environment. Which is, which is <laughs> the important there is controlled <laughs> controlled environment. environment. <laughs> <laughs> that's great so tell, I mean obviously I haven't um, I've actually you know normally what I do is I batch interviews so I record a lot of interviews and then it goes a few months and I haven't recorded one so yeah. all my interviews were pre-COVID so I haven't had a chance to really talk to someone since in the profession so tell yeah. me a little bit I mean obviously we, like we talked about before a little bit in the hospital setting it hasn't changed too much for you but from what you're hearing from your colleagues from, from patients coming in the perception towards coming into the dentist, you know, risk of aerosols, the availability of PPE and all that. Like there's a lot to kind of digest. What's it been like for you guys in Toronto for the past few months? Yeah. So Toronto private practice is just starting up. So I can give you a bit more information in regards to private practice because I sit on um, the executive board for the York Regional Dental Society, um, as well as the education committee for the Ontario Dental Association. So I'm able to hear what's also happening in private practice and then we get our updates and then comparing to hospital. So the switch where we're seeing and Ontario had just come out with a new set of guidelines, I believe on Friday last week or Monday this past week. And we're seeing now that we're able to return to practice and you're allowed to do more than just emergency-based treatment. But again, there's still a global shortage in regards to PPE. So making sure for aerosol generating procedures that you have your N95s and your face shield and your gowns and your gloves and trying to make sure you have enough stock and trying to figure out which procedures and because even using and I think this is where we have to change our mentality when it comes to dentistry now is even using an air water syringe creates an aerosol, right? So like you wouldn't even think twice about using your air water syringe, right? And so previously, like way back in the day when we used to, or not us, but previous dentists used to practice wet finger dentistry, no one used gloves, no one used masks. And then there was an uproar for when gloves were then had to be (laughs) used, right? And then we transitioned where you definitely need to be wearing your masks. So then eye protective wear. And 
So we're going to see this shift with having to change our mindsets or how we view dentistry as a whole. And this open concept potentially might have to be changed as well, or we have to look at dentistry offices or dental offices in such a way where you're closing down certain procedure rooms. And that's what's coming out, especially for aerosol generating, because a patient could screen negative symptoms, but there's no guarantee that they're COVID negative at this point in time, right? Because patients can still present with asymptomatic. So we're seeing we're seeing the temperature checking with certain offices we've seen cuz guidelines that had come out before was saying that you needed to have ceiling to floor walls or doors and so we're seeing a change across the board and i think not just in ontario but across the provinces and across the globe we'll see a shift in how we do dentistry as a whole and even say for instance the need for teledentistry yeah. i feel like we shifted and we jumped 10 years for 10 years forward and we're trying to incorporate a new format of dentistry or trying to change our view on how we see dentistry so being able to communicate with that elderly population to try to mitigate the risk of having to travel because it's not necessarily the fact that they're then able to jump in a car and come to your office, wait in the car, text when or call when they get there, and then social distance when they're in the waiting room and limit the amount of patients in the office. But this individual might have to commute using public transit, which means that they're more at risk. Are these individuals... Or do they have accessibility to masks as a protection if that's what the governments are saying that when you're out in public to also help protect yourself and others is wear a mask, right? So it's changing that mindset where even, I mean, I could go on and I could talk about this for forever. I feel like, oh my goodness. Um, So it's even as simple as hygiene checks. We're so used to go into one room, local anesthetic, jump into the hygiene check, maybe do a follow-up in the next room, maybe squish in an emergency. Okay, your block is now ready for <laughs> you in that next room to go in. But now you have to take into consideration your PPE. That's a lot of, right? yeah. So are you able to do that? Or how do you set those patients up? So we may see a shift in hygiene with okay, maybe you're not doing recare or recall exams on the same day. Maybe you're bringing them back and instead of your hygienist doing the intraoral or extraoral radiographs, you have them back on a different day. And on that day, you're doing radiographs as well as a clinical exam. So it's trying to find how dentistry will fit back into um, this new world, new normal as, as uh, we keep hearing. So yeah. yeah. No, it's great. I mean, it's, it's going to be a lot. I, I feel for practice owners because the expenses of all these things are going to just pile up a little bit. Yeah. Uh, feel for patients because they're not they're not you know comfortable coming back or they're scared right. to come back for some treatment. So, and it's interesting because, like you said, you know, we're going from like no gloves, no mask to like the evolution of things. And often these like these types of events really accelerate a lot of things like teledentistry, like that you touched on. So it's going to be interesting how how things like kind of play out over the next you know couple of years and until like maybe like a vaccine comes or the, I guess the, the hype of it kind of dies down and people kind of go back to their normal, normal life. And to yeah. see what of these changes is like 
temp, like temporary or what is going to be permanently like adapted into the profession and, and into medicine right. as well. It's going to be pretty cool. So tell me a little bit about, I guess, the, the Princess Margaret Hospital. What types of patients do you guys see? And like sort of, uh, you know, when I was working, I worked in Toronto for one year before I moved back to Australia. So I wasn't too familiar, I guess, with the pathways of what patients can end up back in the public system versus what has to be referred privately. So for right. the Canadian listeners out there who are listening, who may come across some patients that may benefit from coming to see you guys or even going to Sunnybrook or Sinai, what's the pathway generally to get these patients the care they need that way? Right. So I only see patients who are referred from their oncologists. We have a uh, mouth clinic or mouth screening clinic. So if you you suspect that your patient has um, a head and neck cancer, then you can refer in to see our oral pathologist. Otherwise, um, in order to see me, you're being you're either a previous cancer center patient or you're actively in the middle of treatment or you've been referred uh, from your oncologist. So the three main types of patients that I see are the head and neck cancer patients, so pre, during, post radiation, and then we see the leukemias and the lymphomas before they go for their bone marrow and stem cell transplants. I see a handful of the breast, the prostate cancers pre-IV bisphosphonate, so pre-zomata or pre-pomindronate or pre-denosumab, prolia, as a monoclonal antibody, or um, the lung cancers or really any other type of cancers who's currently actively undergoing chemotherapy and develops some sort of acute infection. And so we organize with the oncologist's timing of treatment in comparison to their cancer therapy that they're undergoing, whether that's chemotherapy, immunotherapy, or hormone replacement therapy. And after the patient's treatment, so let's go back over our head and neck cancers. After they're done their treatment, they can go back to private practice. So my ultimate goal is to get them back to seeing their general dentist. And the reason for that is we want them to be seeing their general dentist on a regular basis for their recare exams, for their hygiene visits. And so I've recently started lecturing about treating the patient post-radiation therapy because I know dentists can be a little uncomfortable with treating or, or unaware of certain aspects that can be contraindicated with treating the radiation patient afterwards. And so specifically for the head and neck radiation patients, you need to be concerned about where their dose was and to what extent or how high their dose was to that specific area. So for an example, let's say you had left uh, tonsillar squamous cell carcinoma with a neck node involvement. So you need to be concerned about all the molars on the left side, maxillary and mandibular. And we see the patients pre to determine if that area, do we need to be aggressive with taking out those teeth? Now I could go over the entire list of what's the reasoning for and what are the yeah. point form notes <laughs> on what we're looking for, but that's, <laughs> I can send you a paper if people yeah, are interested on that. Uh, just a quick question on um, the ORN, ORN stuff. Do you, I mean, cause we, we see a fair few of these patients here at the oral surgery department as well in Melbourne and Dental Hospital. Yeah. What's the, what's your protocol there? Is there any, discussion on like hyperbarics and any of that kind of stuff available to you guys or is it just like pre-op antibiotics or what do you guys normally what's your protocols so i'm gonna ask you a question 
is this patient diagnosed with osteoarthritis necrosis right now? Or are we trying to prevent it or what? So, <laughs> There's so, so yeah, many. Not, I should yeah. frame it better. So they've come to you after they've had radiation yeah. uh, with, a, with a tooth abscess that needs to come out on restorable tooth. And so you're planning extractions in a patient who's had radiation and you've, you have the radiation maps and things like that. And it's on the board, like it's like, say, 45 grade, 35, 45 grade. Is there a protocol that you follow to like minimize aura and risk? Or is it like if right. the radiation has been done, it's been done, there's not much really that has huge alterations of the outcome. Very good question. Very controversial. So people yeah. who are listening in 100% are going to comment both ways. So 35 to 45 gray, I feel completely comfortable extracting teeth without sending the patient for hyperbaric oxygen chamber or hyperbaric oxygen chamber or so HBO or potentially pentaclope. Uh, so which is pentoxifylene, clondronate, and uh, tocopherol. Um, so you, um, so between even 35 to 50, 55, I feel quite comfortable extracting teeth. I'll push the 55 limit in the maxillary because yeah. maxillary risk of ORN is significantly lower versus the um, risk of mandibular ORN. So I reach out to the radiation oncologist, I get my dosimetry. And then from there, I give the patient the option and the risk and complications associated with extracting a tooth. Now, if this tooth has been actively infected in the past, periodontally involved, realistically sending them for HBO or Pentaclo isn't really going to help things, I'm going to extract that tooth. If the patient develops ORN, do I send them to HBO or the potential for Pentaclo? Yes. So we have a late effects clinic where um, a radiation oncologist sees our uh, ORN patients, whether it developed either spontaneously, post-extraction, or even from trauma sometimes. Because sometimes you can get osteoarthritis necrosis from eating Tocitos chips in the <laughs> Milohyoide area because the tissue is so thin, unfortunately. Yeah. So it's, it, yeah, it's very controversial. Um, I wouldn't probably be the best person to talk. I, would, I feel like an oral surgeon would, <laughs> would be able to give you more on the research aspect of, yeah. of osteoarthritis necrosis because even for our oral surgery who's in or oral surgeon who's in our clinic, if there are certain cases that I don't feel comfortable with, I still refer to him as well. Yeah. That's good. It's good to just kind of just compare, you know, because uh, we're yeah. uh, the opposite sides of the world and just make sure, like, just it's not make sure, but just to see like <laughs> <laughs> what's happening out there. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, well, I mean, so here's the thing like osteonecrosis or ONJ, because of the, now we've got medication related osteonecrosis yeah. of the jaw, right? So, like, there's so many different stagings that are out there too. Like you've got Marks who stages ORN with or in conjunction with, with HBO. And then you've got Notani who's then staged it without HBO, but certain ones or certain authors who have come out with it are based on clinical exam only or radiographic exam only. And if it involves the inferior border of the mandible. So it's yeah. where, unfortunately, we don't have specifics on ORN at this point in time. And unfortunately, in order to cure cancer where a patient is going for radiation, if they need that high of a dose, they need that high of a dose. Now, 
Radiation has improved. Yeah. Radiation has improved immensely. Like back in the nineties and early two thousands, it was still radical therapy. So that patient that I talked about as an example before, if they had that left tonsillar squamous cell carcinoma with their nodal involvement, their entire head would have been blasted essentially. So Mm -hmm. at that point in time, dosimetry would be non-existent because the entire maxillary mandible would have been involved, right? Now we have IMRT, which is intensity modulated radiation therapy, where we can get those dosimetry mapping from the radiation oncologist to narrow down and be specific with, okay, can we place an implant? Can we do extractions? in this area? Is the dose low enough? What are the patient's risks? So the great thing about it is, is that post-radiation, we can still assess those or we can assess those areas and kind of map out a bit better. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. I mean, it feels like it's still somewhat of an inexact science. We're still developing those protocols and things like that. I don't want to say inexact science. (laughs) It's it's, (laughs) developing. Yes, developing. That's it's developing, and as more cases and as things change, um, I mean that's science, right? That's science in and of itself. Is you do an experiment, you see what happens. You do a stomach review, you see what those outcomes have been. So yeah. So before we kind of move on to some of the stuff outside of dentistry, I just want to ask you sort of if you have you know like five year, ten year kind of plans and and where you think your like career is going to evolve or like certain career goals and stuff that you have for yourself going forward? Yeah. I mean, I don't know. Pre-COVID, I was like <laughs> the 20-year mapped out person. <laughs> like friends, friends would always comment being like, Jessica, I don't think I've ever met anyone who plans as much as you do. Like I'm the type of person that like if I have a day off, I'm planning when I'm going to nap during the day. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so me planning like a year out, five years, 10 years, 20 years out, I've like, I've always had a plan. Yeah. And I think as people who have lived in the schooling system, the professional schooling system for such an extended period of time, we've had to plan like that too. Yeah. So it's, okay, we finish high school, we do undergrad. Okay. You need four years undergrad. And then okay, do you need to do a master's to get into your undergraduate program? Do you need, once you're in your dental school, okay. And then once you're there, it's like, okay, are you going to do residency? We live in like a semester basis. And then we're always consistently planning. Now, pre-COVID plans, I feel like consistently, I don't want to say consistently change at this point in time. Short answer is now that we have COVID, there are no plans. (laughs) It's like a reset button. <laughs> it's a reset button. I, at the end of the day, I enjoy what I do. I love the clinical. I love the non-clinical. So I'm also being education director um, at the hospital. We have a new fellowship program at the hospital that started this past year. And so um, I help organize their schedules on the different departments that they see at the can- within the cancer center, along with also arranging the residency where Sinai residents come over. So it's so funny that I used to be a resident and now I get to organize their schedules. And I feel like with education research that I take part in, some of the special projects that I do at the hospital, along with organized dentistry, and then now this with the coaching with the imposter phenomenon, I've got a little bit of everything that makes me so happy. That's great. So it's... 
until I see a significant change or I feel like I need to make a change at this point in time, I'm happy with where I am. That's great. And I think it's, it's cool. I think we have some of that in common of dabbling in a little bit of everything and just keeps things fresh, keeps you on your toes. Mm-hmm. And you, know, you mentioned the like scheduling your naps and I, I, I know, I know that's like in itself is a joke, but like it, it speaks to the larger thing of just being organized and having the back end to yeah. you know, support everything that you do. Right. And yeah. that's something that I've been like trying to work on, trying to improve myself because I, I'd like to be busy, but like I always, I didn't always have the necessary like tools, maybe like from the personal development side or the, you know, keeping a schedule, keeping a log of things. So I'd often just have, have things in my head and I'm like, oh, I got to do this, I got to do this. And it gets to a point where it's gotten to a point over the last little bit as things get busier where you're like, oh, I can't really manage everything without like better systems. And things are kind of just like mm-hmm. sipping off the plate a little bit and things like that. So I think that's like a pretty cool maybe segue into some of the stuff you do with your coaching, some of the stuff you do with you know speaking, consulting. Yeah. Tell me, I guess, I think for me, like, I've entered this self like improvement stuff yeah. later in the game. Like it's, I, I look back now, I'm like, man, it's a miracle. I kind of made it like through school and like dental school and stuff without having like, any like proper systems in place. And now that I'm like, you know, a little bit more older and like kind of taking on more things, I'm like, okay, I need to like really make sure like backend is developed. I need to make sure I have like good systems in place, just in like in life in general to like make sure I can actually handle everything and get through and, and get the outcomes that I want. What's that process been like for you? And what, kind of motivated you to start this whole side thing that you're doing? Yeah. So I noticed a couple of years ago that I just kept noticing a change with the way that I thought, or I'd come home and I'd be like, oh my goodness, today went extremely hard. And I've noticed that, or even when I would talk to people, I would leave and I would say, oh my goodness, I work extremely hard. I'm not that smart. And when someone would comment, they would be like, well, no, you are really smart or you sound really smart. And I'm like, no, no, no. And I would discount a lot of the stuff that I would say or how I would feel. And so what I found was, is I needed to retrain myself and how I would speak back to myself mm-hmm. because with any patient, regardless of the complexity of it. So with my cancer patients or in private practice, you could have 20 patients go extremely well. And that one patient says something to you and that's what you take home. Right. And that's what you sit and you think on. And to be able to step outside of that at times becomes extremely exhausting. And we see in dentistry where there's burnout, depression, and anxiety. And so even prior to noticing a few years ago or a couple of years ago, I didn't put two and two together that I have been creating this negative self-talk since I was in high school. And I remember So I excelled extremely well in math and numbers. They were my thing, loved it. Even in first year university, like looking back, I'm like, why did I do biology? I should (laughs) have done calculus. Anyway, so looking back 
And one of my high school experiences was in grade 12. And I'd done extremely well. And this high school, we'll call him an acquaintance. <laughs> we, back in high school, they posted your uh, like uh, grades at the back of the classroom. <laughs> so you knew everyone, you knew yeah. everyone in your <laughs> classroom's grade. Anyway, so I remember having English and calculus with him. And he had seen my marks from English and my English grades were never that high because English was not my forte. Mm. And then I remember when my grades had come out and I guess he didn't put two and two until like later in the semester. And all of a sudden he saw my name and he saw that was all high nineties. And he goes, he turns to me and I remember him saying, you're smart. And I was like, (laughs) Whoa. (laughs) And so, but even those little jabs, you don't realize how that takes an emotional toll and you carry that forward and it ingrains in you. So fast forward to undergrad in the middle of university. So at the end of second year, when you're piled on with so many more readings and courses and information, my marks were starting to drop again. And so my mom was like, I think we need to go get you tested. And I was like, what do you mean? She goes, because my brother has a learning disability. And because my math had balanced out my English, it was fine. But once I got to university, it couldn't balance out anymore because the amount of English and the amount of reading and the amount of papers and articles that you would have to keep up with, I just couldn't keep up with anymore. So I was diagnosed with a learning disability, specifically in reading comprehension, and I had to learn how to learn all over again. (laughs) Now, that's where my organizational skills came from because of the fact that I needed to actively put those efforts together in order to bring it forward so I could be successful in dental school. And so along the way, I felt like it carried forward to even after I finished my residency program, after I was a staff dentist, where I would create this negative thought, thinking that I didn't deserve the success and that someone's going to find out that I shouldn't be here. (laughs) And so when I started to look at these thoughts and recognize them for what they are, I realized, okay, first off, I'm not alone in thinking this. Second, this isn't new. And third, I can work through this. I don't need to feel like this all the time. I don't need to keep thinking this all the time. And when I respond to comments, when people tell me or compliment me on certain things, I can say thank you instead of trying to figure out an explanation on why I did what I did. That's great. That's, I mean, that's, I mean, first of all, thanks for sharing that. Cause I think yeah. that kind of story resonates with a lot of people and a lot of us have been through that. And like I said earlier, it's amazing that, you know, you can accomplish so much and still be like, am I like smart? Am I like, <laughs> cause it's, it's all relative. Right. And I, I tell my friends, my, yeah. tell my friends here, all like, I, I, one of the things I'm realizing now in life is like, everything is so relative of like your immediate surroundings, who you're with, who you're in a room with and how that affects how you see yourself in like society or within your peers and things. Yeah. And a good example, like, I mean, in, in Australia here, for example, 
the the MaxMax program is like dual degree. So it's kind of like the right. UK model where they, they go to undergrad, they go to dental school, they go to med school, and then they apply and get into MaxMax. So it's, it's a pretty lengthy process to get through. And it's like to anyone that's, I guess, absurd, like you have an MD, a DDS, and like, it's like, man, you're just like some <laughs> really qualified, smart people. And <laughs> so you're, you're in the, you're in a room with these people all the time now, because that's like, that's our job. Like we're a junior in that room, but and it becomes the new normal. So like, like oh man, like yeah. I feel so inadequate. Like I just have like one degree right? and like, I don't know anything. And you like, you very quickly lose sight of like broader picture of where you are on like the grand scheme of things. And that can have a big impact on, on your psyche and things. Same with anything. Like, you know, you did jujitsu. Like I, I play soccer. I run now a lot. Yeah. And, you know, I have certain milestones in running and I'm like, okay, I'm going to get this goal. And then you get that goal and you feel good. But then you look at okay, where's my goal versus like, you know, like a state yeah. record, world record, Olympic record. <laughs> right. And you're like, oh man, this is like such an insignificant accomplishment. Like, so that is very, uh, it's very easy to, if you have that mindset of comparing to immediate or always looking up versus looking back down to like looking at how far you've come along in any yes. particular event or exercise or study it's so easy to like lose sight and like kind of like lose the significance of like your accomplishments. So I think a lot of us can definitely resonate with all this. So that's actually one of the things that is associated with the imposter phenomenon is it's kicking your goalpost past the point, past your finish line, past you being able to see it in your line of sight anymore. So that light at the end of the tunnel, you can't even see it anymore because it's so far gone. And with, high achieving individuals and high functioning individuals, what ends up happening is you set that goal and then you move it. And then you set the next goal and you move it and you set the next goal. And then next thing you know, you've set three goals. So just going back to you asking, what's your five-year, what's your 10-year plan, right? It It just leads into that where every single step of the way, you need to make sure and you need to make an active effort to sit there. Okay. Maybe not physically sit there, but sit there with your mind and look back at where you've, where you've come from and how far you're going to get to as well. Because all I wanted when I was 14 was to get into dental school. Yeah. And then when I was in dental school, I was like, oh my God, this is the hardest thing ever. I'm not going to like, how is this going to work? Oh my God. Like, and, and even compared from first year dental school to fourth year dental school. And when it came to fourth year, I ended up sitting on the um, interview um, committee for, in, for applicants who were applying to dental school. And that's when it would remind me that all I ever wanted was to be here. All I ever wanted was to be a dentist and I'm here. So no matter if I'm studying for boards or whether or not I'm going to finish my credits on time or how I'm going to practice afterwards, I'm going to figure it out. At the end of the day, I'm going to figure it out because when you set that new goal, or try a new task, or take on a new challenge, you're never starting from scratch. Yeah. You always get to carry forward some sort of skill set. You just need to figure out how it transfers. That's all. Yeah, no, that's cool. And that perspective is really great. And you know, I started, I started like journaling maybe like a year ago. It was like a challenge. Like, okay, I was just going to do it for 30 days, and I'll do it for 60 days. And then it kind of just became a habit like anything, and you kind of keep doing it. Yeah. And uh, 
you know, one of the cool things that it was actually like when I interviewed for this oral surgery residency job, I, like it was in the morning and then I had a few hours to kill before I had to like go to work. And so I was driving like from the university back through and I, I drove past like my, like res, like my college, like residence, like that I lived in first year dental school and I had some time. I was like, screw it. Let me just like, I pulled into the parking lot and I had like my, my like, like scrap paper. I was like, I was like, write down everything I've accomplished since like I lived here like four years ago, five years ago. Yeah. And it's like crazy. Like you're like, Oh, I did this. I did this. I did this. And that's like a, such a cool way to like remind yourself of like, to like give yourself some like respect for like the things you've done and not always be like yeah. looking for the next thing. But it's, it's like a blessing and a curse. I feel like because it's our, our ambition and our drive that gets us forward, but it's also, 100%. it also like messes with us. Cause we always like, what's next. You're never like, okay, yeah. I'm here now. I'm like, I've made it. Like, let me just like yeah. relax here. No, there's never such thing. Not, not, not with that mentality where you're like, Oh, I've made it. No, there's <laughs> no, you've never made it because you're already on to the next thing. Right. Yeah. Uh, it's, uh, I'm so glad that you brought that up. The, my achievements, actually both things, my achievements and journaling, because that makes a huge difference to begin with. So one of the exercises that I, that I tell people to work on and to do is to list their achievements, but to do it, not just in one sitting, because you need to do it over, let's say a period of a week, because I want you to write down, not just your achievements within dentistry. It's your achievements without life, right? Yeah. Or even now with what's going on. And based on when you choose to start that list, you're going to have an emotional reaction to it as well, right? So whether you're stressed at that moment in time, you're going to write certain, certain achievements down. If you're at the end of the day and you're tired, you're going to be writing different achievements down as well. So it's one thing to write down your entire resume and write down your CV, but it's another to actually look back. If you want to write down on that achievements list, you put on pants today. Jeez, put <laughs> you put on pants today, right? Yeah. Like it's one of those things where you're a good mom, you're a good partner. You're like, it's not just that perfectionist mentality where it's just in the profession. You have so many achievements throughout your entire life, whether you're a caregiver, whether you remembered your password for something. <laughs> Make you change it and update it every three months. Like it's one of those things where you need to realize you're a human at the end of the day, and that each goal you may not see it as that massive accomplishment where it goes back to, oh, I've made it, but you have, you've made it this far. So you've yeah. definitely made it. I think taking a moment to like I said, we always do kick the goalposts forward and have these like goals. Yeah. But even though if it's temporary, like it's really important to like, ce like celebrate and enjoy something when you like accomplish it as well. hundred um, percent. Cause it before like instantly, like saying, like I, I'm, I, I'm notoriously bad at this cause I'll, I'll set a goal. Like, like running, for example, like I'll have like a goal and I'm like, I get it. And then the next day I'm like, okay, what's the next goal guys? Like I'll message my <laughs> running group with like our friends and I'm like, all right, well, should we aim for this next? Or should we aim for this? And like, man, just like <laughs> let it go for a couple of weeks and then we'll, we'll like, yeah, think about it. Exactly. Exactly. It's like enjoying that in like, even your running goal. It's like, let's say you ran a mile today and you're like, yes, I accomplished it. And you're on like, okay, I'm going to do two miles tomorrow. And it's like, okay, well, I just accomplished one. Why don't I do a mile every single day for a week or two weeks? Cause that's yeah. an accomplishment in and of itself, right? Yeah. The consistency. That's a good one. And that's right. And that's where it goes back to, just like you said, with the journaling, you said it for 30 days and then 60 days. I didn't change the way that I felt 
or had these thoughts. I didn't go on an eat, pray, love adventure where I took six months off and I disappeared for a little bit and was in my own little box and and just made it happen. No, I practiced a little bit each day. And for journaling, I found when... So I've always flip-flopped back and forth between journaling. As a little girl, I'm going to say a little girl. As a little girl, I always thought it was, dear diary, and like, what did Jessica do today? And Anytime I would go back to like, or I missed a few days, I'd feel like upset at myself. But now journaling, when you bring it forward, when I had started it again, it was all like the negative thoughts that I was feeling. And you need to make sure you're also incorporating either neutral thoughts or positive thoughts as well. Mm -hmm. And in order to do that, you have to reflect on an entire day if that's what you're choosing to write about or an entire week, but you can't just write about the negatives. Cause let's say you're deciding to journal at the end of the day or bright and early in the morning. If you're only journaling about the negatives or how you did something wrong or how you feel like you quote unquote failed, that's going to either start your day off on the wrong foot, or when you go to bed, you're not going to be able to go to bed because you're just going to be stuck in your head the entire time. So journaling is to help get those either thoughts down on paper. So then, especially at nighttime, if you're trying to get to sleep, so then you don't have to remember or try to remind yourself. You're like, okay, I got to remember this in the morning, right? And to start your day, it's you telling yourself, I got this. I'm going to figure it out. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, there's a few few things I really worked for me was one is, I started writing down like at the start of the month, like stressors for the month, like upcoming nice. assignments, projects, things. And it's always great to like, it's a great feeling when you look back like a few months later, you're like, oh man, I was like stressed about like that case or I was stressed about this yeah. thing. Like, um, and it makes you like build that like resilience of, okay, I can, there's not many things that can actually challenge me or like push me like to my limits. Cause you can see all the things that you thought were like these monumental tasks that like you like overcame and you're fine and you got through it now. So, exactly. um, and, and, you know, for people like us who have, you know, you've gone through exams, you've gone through boards, there's been so many of those incremental things that we've just like overcome, like knocked it off. And at the time you're like, Oh man, this is like the biggest obstacle. Yeah. Like, how am I going to do this or get through this board exam or get into dental school? Or, uh, right. So it's, it's, it's pretty cool. What, um, what other strategies do you like use for this kind of stuff apart from like journaling or exercise? Is there anything yeah. that else that you've, you've done that kind of works for you? Yeah. So one thing in particular, so I've got two things I can comment on. One is if you're in the moment. So I have generalized anxiety to begin with. And so, um, I've had to do a lot of, um, uh, mind work in that sense as like through high school, through, uh, undergrad and, forth to today. And so one of my biggest things, and this is so funny that, um, again, you don't put two and two things together or hindsight's always 2020 when you move forward. So one of the things that I actually used to do early on is, is, is take a moment to focus on me just being in the moment. So if I'm sitting down, like wiggling your toes, or wiggling your fingers. Cause that brings you back to the present instead of your thoughts, just racing. Yeah. So if you're in the middle of an imposter phenomenon thought where you're, let's say you're about to go into a procedure or an extraction and you start panicking a little bit about it, or you start to get nervous and those thoughts coming in, or I can't do this. 
then that's where by bringing yourself back to the moment, that physicality of wiggling your toes brings you very present. And so the reason why I laugh about it is because, have you seen the movie Die Hard? Yeah. (laughs) Bruce Willis. So the first movie, he's on the plane and he's scared of flying, which outside of that, I also have a fear of flying too. But the person he was sitting next to was just like, oh, take your shoes off and uh, wiggle your toes so then they can feel the carpet. And then when he ends up landing the plane, he does it and he's like, oh my goodness, this actually works. But then moving forward, when I've spoken to friends who are psychologists, they actually use it in a form of psychology because again, it brings you back into present. So sometimes when people are in say a psychology treatment or as you're going throughout your day, by bringing yourself back to that moment and noticing that physicality, it reminds you of where you are. The other aspect, which Dr. Bruce Freeman talks about, massive breathing. So breathing makes a huge thing, right? So all of a sudden, when you start to notice that you're starting to have either that panic, nervousness, fear of failure in that moment in time, making sure you're deep breathing. So your ex, your, the length of your exhale has to be longer than the length of your inhale. And by doing that, that slows your breathing down, controls your heart rate so then it's not racing, and puts you back into the present mind without your thoughts kind of running away from you. Yeah. Now, long-term and something to work on a daily basis or every other day or multiple times during the day is something called the thought ladder. And so the thought ladder is where you have an initial thought and it's that negative creating thought. Then you, so your step two, so step one is creating that initial thought and you have to narrow down those thoughts because as you're sitting there, you're going to, it's essentially going to be kind of like a snowball effect where it just starts rolling and turns into an avalanche. So you got to find what that initial or what that one primary thought is. Then you want to write down what your goal thought is. And so you need to figure out how you're going to get from your initial thought to your goal thought. So your step three is to come up with those neutral thoughts. And those neutral thoughts can be positive, but they're non-threatening. What means is, is that you need to figure out if you actually believe it. So as you decide to write those two to three neutral thoughts in between getting to your goal thought, you're then figuring out how you believe it. And just like a pain scale of like one to 10, do you believe it? Did you go from a two out of 10 of believing it to a four out of 10? Because you're not going to all of a sudden jump from that negative thought to the positive thought. So let me give an example because I realize it's can be a little confusing without any visuals. So let's say your initial thought is, I can't do complex implant retained dentures. And your goal thought is, I can do complex cases or I want to be able to do complex cases. You're, you got to fill in the blanks in between. And so you're going to fill it in with two to three thoughts, four or five, whatever, how many ladder steps it gets you to that goal thought. That first initial thought, that most neutral thought that you're going to use, you're going to remind yourself, you went to dental school. You have an education. You're not starting from nowhere, right? You learned about it. You had courses on dentures, on courses on implant stuff. So you have a base. Your second is, okay, I'm going to either take more CE or I'm going to learn more about this on my own. Then your next neutral thought is, I'm going to add some more cases, but they're going to be more 
or slightly less complex cases. And that way, then you continually build up. So when you get to that complex case, it's not all of a sudden that you're like, I can't do this. I've never done dentures. I don't know what I'm doing, right? You're starting from somewhere. And that's the biggest thing is trying to fill in the blanks. And when you start to believe those, you'll be able to move up the ladder. That's awesome. I mean, that's, that's a great way of thinking about it. It's kind of like the inertia thing, right? Like if you're, yes. like you just, you want to get the ball rolling. Okay. You're not just pushing against the wall, but like, okay, let me get it rolling. And then I'll just get yeah. momentum along the way and I'll, and I'll kind of pick a few things up. Along That's the way. exactly it. That's yes. cool. That's great. Thought ladder. I'll write that down. So in terms of when it comes to, I mean, you're doing this, uh, you know, the coaching, some consulting and talking about all these things with the imposter phenomenon, imposter syndrome, I guess, I mean, having started, like, you know, I do a podcast in Australia where we've started a website called like CPD Junkie, which is like a, it's like an online directory of courses. And we're trying to mm-hmm. build a platform and try and bring dentists and course organizers and things. So all these things, there's an initial doubt of, okay, like, do I have the know-how one or two, if I make it, will like anyone actually care, or, like use it or come to it? <laughs> right. Um, <laughs> so what what was your thought process of like, okay, let me like make the website, like all these things. Yeah. There's a big like initial, it's like the initial thing again, right? Like it's like make the website, make the branding, make the logo, make the product. That's the one side of it. And then the other side of it, which I'm also curious about, we'll talk hopefully about both is, you know, even like myself, I, I learn a lot of stuff that's like for my own personal use and I, I use it in my own life. And when it comes to giving this advice to other people, perfectly fits into the imposter syndrome of like, well, who am I really to like tell someone to do X, Y, and Z? Um, right. Because I'm not like an expert in any of those things particularly. Yeah. Uh, whereas maybe we, I've put in like a lot of hours where I can save someone a lot of time and just be like, even for whatever, like dentistry, for nutrition, running, uh, side, like starting a podcast, whatever it may be. Mm-hmm. Um, what got you over the hump in both of those aspects for starting this whole side project? So... The first thing is figuring out your niche, like what that's specific and who your target audience is. Because you could come up with this idea, but if it's too broad, it becomes extremely overwhelming and you can't set those goals, but the specifics with in those goals in order to try to figure out how it's going to be successful. So I remember even like two, three years ago when I was just like, Oh, like I really, like I love sitting down with patients and I love having conversations and education and getting out there and lecturing. And I decided of course, because this is being in science is what we do. I'm like, I'm going to just keep researching (laughs) and I'm just going to keep finding information. And so originally it was like, okay, I want to talk about people with my story about anxiety and how I have overcome my anxiety. And then I started to narrow it down and I'm like, wait a second, it's not anxiety. It's the imposter phenomenon. And so I had narrowed it down. I had done more research and it's always been in me where I'm like, okay, I need to get this out there. And so I thought about it and I started coming up with like some outlines. And then I think it was October, November, where I pitched the idea to a couple different people. And 
it was like a massive interest. And I was like, okay, so this isn't just me (laughs) at this point in time feeling these things. And so I was like, okay, so I'm just going to start building from here on out. And because I had already started lecturing about treating the head and neck cancer patient and the cancer patient overall, I felt very comfortable with putting together a webinar. And that's when COVID ended up happening and reaching out with uh, Dr. Effie Habshaw, who's a prosthodontist in Toronto and started Women in Dentistry. And I was like, this is, we're looking for different subject or topic matters at this point in time to also kind of switch off that COVID brain because with social media and the news media and everything, you're just inundated with COVID-19. And so I was like, you know what? This is, I think, the perfect time to be able to get this platform out there a bit more. And so that's what I've started to do. But being also confident in what you know is worthwhile is also because if it means something to you and is important to you, 100% it's important to someone else. And you're not alone in feeling those things. So your platform with the education and the podcast, it's getting it out there. And if it means something to you and it comes across sincere as well, people are going to recognize that and want to be involved in your journey too. And I think that's so extremely important to know that each one of us are not alone out there, regardless if it's anxiety or the imposter phenomenon or not knowing how to do implant retained dentures. Like (laughs) it's one of those things where there's someone out there and one of actually, so there's five different imposter types and one of them is the expert. And it describes you thinking you need to know everything before you actually write that article or before you actually put that information out there and stuff, right? So at the end of the day, there's always going to be someone who either knows something different, knows something a little bit more, or you can even collaborate on. Like, look at how I just started talking about osteoarthritis necrosis. I was like, yeah, <laughs> you might want to be a surgeon. Like, it's one of those things where yeah. it's, it, it, if it means something to you, and you want to do it, why? I t- oh my goodness, I just had, sorry, I have so, I've been talking to like so many people recently. And so I have a friend who has three kids and is um, in financing, and she decided to go off on her own and do some independent finance stuff with how to invest. And she's helping prof- young professionals who essentially, you and I, all we did was go to school and like, I'm not going to lie to you, outside of like textbook stuff. Um, it, it's a, a very slow process with like investments and like yeah. what to do and like certain things and stuff. And we were student for so long. Anyway, so she was telling me, she's like, yeah, I've committed a lot of time to this and I don't know. And I'm like, do you like it? Do you enjoy it? Do you think you're making a difference? Do people yeah. respond well to it? And she goes, yeah. And I'm like, then why are you going to give up? Yeah. It's now, it's the hard part now, which this is actually in the Alchemist book. Um, and this is where my title for the Alchemist Dentist yeah. <laughs> came from, is that fear of failure. And we have this beginner's luck in the beginning where 
things come easy. We're super excited for it. So it's a little bit natural. We're willing to put in the effort. And then all of a sudden you're in the trenches and it's not going as planned. And you're like, okay, do I really want to do this? And it's like, yeah. This is great. Yeah. That's when you need to put in that much more and push through because you're going to end up on the other side and you're going to be happy that you did it because the self-doubt and that self-critical thinking that you have either initially or partway through the process or even at the end, you're never going to essentially give up on yourself. You're never going to regret putting the efforts and commitment and investing in yourself at the end of the day. Yeah. That, that's, you know, I've, I've pondered this, you know, like feel of a fear of failure thing and even like fear of success, like weirdly, yeah. cause you're like, you kind of, you kind of get it and you're like, Oh, this is, this is weird. Like I'm not used to like, like I'm used to having like the chip on my shoulder and like having that be my driving force. Right. So the way you explained that, you know, the, the beginner's luck is great. Cause like, I feel like, you know, a lot of us will start something, and you get that early win and then the tendency is like, okay, like, you know, just try something else now. Like you don't want to like right. double down yeah. on like, keep going. Cause then you're like scared of like, oh, maybe that was like fluke or maybe it's just like, um, so that's a huge that's, thing. That's imposter phenomenon, right? Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's imposter phenomenon at its finest. <laughs> yeah. And it's funny because we have this, so there's two aspects of imposter phenomena. So we have a confirmation bias and a cognitive dissonance. The confirmation bias is where we only look for or accept evidence that confirms what you already believe. So if you succeed, it wasn't because of you. But if you fail, it's always because of you as well. Yeah. Right? And then the cognitive dissonance is where we have this state of theory or two theories and a conflict within each other. So it's the expectations that we set for ourselves, but then how we actually measure those expectations. Mm -hmm. So it's that sitting and reflecting back again. And so when we're stuck in this cognitive dissonance and confirmation bias, that's where the imposter phenomenon and that anxiety comes from and that stress and can ultimately lead to burnout, which is a completely different topic altogether. But yeah. that's, that's essentially, so these negative thought patterns that we keep creating for ourselves, instead of trying to change them, if we keep feeding it, then it's how far can we get until we do think or keep telling ourselves that we're a failure, right? Yeah. I'm going to briefly talk about the imposter cycle. So, cause I had talked about that negative feedback and it's a negative feedback loop. So high functioning individual who, or high achieving individual or someone who experiences imposter phenomenon. Yeah tells themselves or starts to develop a discomfort and anxiety. And that anxiety is increased adrenaline or up and effort and increased heart rate, sweating, and that creeping sense of dread. You tell yourself, I'm an imposter, which then creates that self-doubt and fear of failing. So that negative self-talk then forces us to drive for perfection, which then leads us to either overwork or avoid. So then the next time we look back at it, we chalk it up to luck. Now, regardless of those imposter phenomenon feelings or thoughts, we will succeed no matter what. Yeah. That's the beauty of it. But we discount our success. 
And when we go back to trying a new challenge, that discomfort and anxiety we link to as being negative. Instead of then looking back, acknowledging that success and understanding that anxiety and that discomfort is probably also excitement to start something new or to double down. So for me, even when it came to lecturing, I would get super nervous and I would say, oh my goodness, what if I forget things? What if I don't have the answers? What if I stumble? But at the end of the day, I knew I was prepared. I knew I had looked over my PowerPoint presentation to the nth degree. And so the reason why I was so nervous was because I was so excited to teach people and I just wanted to make sure that I got all my information across. And now when I go to go lecture, I still get nervous. Everyone who gets nervous, right? Everyone gets a little nervous regardless of even if you're a pro, an expert or whatever at it but it's because you want to do so well. And so it's trying to change that self-talk and feedback loop. So then every time you start a new challenge, regardless if it's in your personal life or professional life, you don't have this sense of dread every single time that you try it. That's great. A couple of things I was going to ask is, in terms of, yeah, I find maybe imposter syndrome feeds in a little bit with like, like being humble and like humility versus like the rational confidence guy um, who just like thinks they know everything and they're just like, you know, arrogant. And uh, where, like, where's that scale and dynamic? Cause I, I, I often, I think to myself, man, I should be less, cause I, I don't know. I, my default mode is always humble. And like, I even look back now, like when I started the podcast, like I called it newbie dentist because it's like a, it's like a humble name in a way, right? You're like, you're not, right. you're not approaching this, I'm not approaching this as I'm the expert. I'm going to tell you it's okay. I'm just trying to learn. So I'm coming to this and I'm trying to like get information from others and, and pass it on to other people as well. Right. And you know, as you get experience, as you know, I've been working for like three, four years now and all these things, it's, I'm, I'm finding it tricky to like pivot away from like humility into like, you know what I actually have, I've done like, I, I've interviewed like, you know, all these people now and I've learned a few things from these people. I've, I've continued to like learn stuff on my own. So that, pivot is tough for me because as soon as I tell myself, I tell my wife, like, I need to like be a bit more like egotistical. I think she's like, you have enough ego. Don't worry. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so okay. that's like, is that a thing? Like is like humility and imposter syndrome in a way feed to each other? Like are they? No, in, not in so no. it's so, I'm so glad you said that. So that's the, the, the myth of imposter phenomenon thoughts. And it's funny, one of the, um, one of the readers who, who produced information that I relate to a lot and that informed me, that gave me information. And so the myth with impo- imposter phenomenon is, is that exact thought. <laughs> it's the, I said high standards. So it's the, I don't want to say excuses, but it's the thoughts that we tell ourselves that we're, oh, it's not me. It, it, I don't have imposter phenomenon. It's, it's imposter phenomenon allows me to set high standards. It makes me work hard. It keeps me motivated. It keeps me humble. Yeah. <laughs> like those, like, honestly, those are <laughs> the statements yeah. <laughs> that come with it. Yeah. And 
here's the thing. And I, you mentioned it, so I'm just going to feed off of it. Yeah. Your wife will keep you in check. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and she says that she's, she like <laughs> with the ego aspect of it. It's own. It, listen, the, so there's this competency versus like consciously skilled versus um, unconsciously skilled. And so there's, there's different levels throughout our entire profession in medicine, nursing, pharmacy, right. In dentistry. And it's where we're unconsciously unskilled. So it's that initial aspect of it, right. Then it's the consciously unskilled. So we're aware that we really don't know much. Okay. And then it gets to that consciously skilled aspect of it where we understand, but those imposters imposter phenomenon thoughts where we're now an expert that's when we are thinking the aspect of okay if we keep telling ourselves that we're not skilled it's going to make me learn that much more i'm going to do the more research it's i'm going to make sure i have perfection the next time like it's one of those where then it leads us to that overworking or avoidance aspect of it. And when the overwork happens, we put so much energy and effort into it that the next time we try it or we think back to it, we don't think we'll ever be able to live up to what that was or be able to manage all of that stress that happened the last time we were successful. And the flip side with the avoidance is that we look back and we say, it's because of luck. I left it till the last minute. I winged it. Like it's, it's, it's the way we choose to talk back to ourselves. And so, yeah, you've done it for three years now. Like that's incredible. Like you have all of that information. So it's, it then tells you that, okay, I don't know if it'll ever be perfect. There's going to be mistakes no matter what. We're all human at the end of the day. But it's the fact that I want to continue to learn and grow. Right? That's the biggest thing. And that's dentistry and medicine and the different aspects of how do we grow and how do we continue to learn to benefit our patients or benefit our lives in general with what we want to do, because as much as we want to plan five, 10 years out, it's okay if the plan changes as well. Yeah. What percentage of people do you think have some form or level extreme of imposter phenomenon in their, you know, thoughts and their actions? Is it like everyone or is it? So I want to say it's realistically any high functioning, any high achieving individual. And then we're on a spectrum of how often those thoughts and feelings and everything present themselves. Um, Studies have shown uh, that specifically when it comes to students and dental students, women or females tend to be more affected. And then later on in the dental profession, males tend to be more affected. Students in general has scored. So uh, in 1998, Henny and all produced a study that 30% of the students scored as imposters and that imposter phenomenon was the strongest predictor of general psychological distress. 
And so we know because of the competitive nature of getting into the program, right? And then it comes to what we do on a daily basis and our workloads and how we strive to be the best that can be challenging. So I feel like at different aspects of your life, you can experience imposter phenomenon regardless. And so it's trying to figure out, okay, if it happens, it's okay. And I'm not alone. I feel like that's the the biggest takeaway. And it goes... So for for example, going back into fourth year and that transition into practice. All of a sudden, you were in fourth year. You got your radiograph checked. You got your prep checked. You got your restoration checked and occlusion. Like you got everything along the way. Then all of a sudden, you were handed a degree. degree. You walked across the stage and told you can do it all on your own now. Yeah. Right. So anytime you're given a new challenge, a new task, that's when those feelings start to develop. So you're opening up a new practice, you're taking on an associate, you're joining a new practice. Those are all different aspects or all different degrees along your journey that they could potentially then those thoughts can come up and you not recognize that oh, this is what's actually happening right now and that I've got this. I understand. I know what's happening and I can figure this out so that when I show up, I'm giving it my all. And when that one out of 20 patients <laughs> it does like just looping back around, yeah. that you can go home at the end of the day and you're just not reminiscing the entire time thinking, I can't do this. I am a failure. It's right. It's trying to change that self-talk. And I know I keep going back to it because that's what it's it is. Fun. And it's, it's, it's who talks to the most or something like, like, you know I mean? yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah. And it's so interesting because when I talk to certain people, people walk away from like the webinar and say, oh, do you have suggestions on what to do and how I can apply it to my everyday life? And it's like, what just happened in the webinar? I swear I just gave like some of those <laughs> things. And it's people think that from start to finish within this hour or however long you're, we're communicating that I'm going to be able to change this automatically, right? And it yeah. doesn't change automatically. It takes those little incremental steps. That's neuroplasticity, right? And the analogy that I like to use is with those neural pathways, they're easy. We've walked that path. It's like that hiking trail, right? You can see the path, you walk it. When you actively have to go try and bushwhack and try a different path, you have to forge that every single time. You actively have to take that path every single time. Now, it's easier to take the hiking path and it's harder to forge that new path. And yeah. so that's why it becomes uncomfortable to do that. And so if we keep taking that hiking path, eventually it becomes paved and we never want to forge that new path. And so we keep telling ourselves these negative thoughts. And so even 
a form of non-doing is a form of doing. And the example I like to give is, um, I heard it, I have a meditation app and, um, it was on there and I was like, this is brilliant. It describes Winnie the Pooh and Winnie the Pooh decided to leave his house to go visit one of his friends, but he couldn't figure out which one of his friends to go and visit. So he decided to sit on a tree stump and eat his honey. And Piglet came and he started talking to Piglet. That choice was essentially made for him out of who decided out of his friends who was going to come and visit him. But he made an active choice to sit and eat honey (laughs) on that stump. So his form of non-doing was you still actually doing something. So when you choose to create that pathway over and over and over again of you leading down that imposter cycle, it's going to be that much harder every single time you try something new, try a new challenge. Those thoughts come up to take that new path because you actively need to do that. Yeah, that's great. Uh, that feedback loop is, is something that I often come back to and I have this like thing, it's like a, a dumbed down version of it. It's like our thoughts affect our actions, our actions affect our outcomes and then our outcomes reinforce the thoughts. So just, yeah. you know, it just keeps going in the same kind it's of cycle. It's a cycle, yeah. So it's really easy to get into that either like bad spiral, positive spiral, whichever track you happen to be on because those because you do something good it's like, you know, you eat well, you feel good. And then you eat, keep eating well, you feel better. Um, yeah. And then vice versa, like the opposite happens as well. But uh, that's great. I think that inaction, the avoidance is is a big one that a lot of us face. I think I'm like that, I've definitely. Because I, I like to wing things. Because you say winging, that like really resonate with me. Because if I'm asked to give a talk, I think we're like polar opposites in that I'll like go in and wing it. And, yeah. and I think the excuse is, you know, if I wing it and if it doesn't go well, I'm like, well, I just winged it anyways. It's not like I right, yeah. exactly, yeah. yes, yeah. yeah, that's cool. No, it's it's, just, yeah. it's nice to, you know, these are simple things that if you talk to someone, like, okay, yeah, it's like it seems obvious, but like if you don't think about it that way, if you haven't like necessarily yeah. framed it that way, you don't think about it, and it's and it takes some like self reflection. I think that's a practice as well to be like, oh yeah, that's that's what I do, and like having like the introspection to like actually be aware of these things that you do and those habits that you yeah. have. Um, and I like the, I love the uh, hiking analogy. Like the one I've heard often is like the ski, like ski tracks and things. And I get, if you get off the ski tracks, it's like, it's, it's hard to make a new track, but it's really easy to yeah. fall back into the same track. Um, yeah. And that's like habits as well, right? If you reinforce it habits is. over and over, then you have a good path in them. So no, that's great. I think that's, that was really good. Um, this is stuff I love as well. So I, I get really yeah. excited to talk to people about it, both from the position of, uh, you know, now that I'm trying to not be an imposter, uh, <laughs> I, I, I like I, I dedicate a lot of time to this stuff. Like, just like not to like necessarily share with others, but just like for my own personal yeah personal things. And a cool thing, actually, like <laughs> I give my wife a hard time, but like because I'm always like you know re- listening to a podcast or like watching something on YouTube about this kind of like. And I remember it was like maybe a year and a half ago. She's like, you know, you're always like reading this stuff. But, like, when are you gonna actually like, implement something? I'm like. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I was like, yeah, I love enough. them. Like, I love the yeah. comments. Yeah. <laughs> so, so oh, now I'm, you know, I'm in the implementation stage of like what yeah. I've learned. So. 
yeah that in itself is a good point right you can yeah you, you can you can sit on on youtube and watch like cooking videos but like you gotta actually start cooking at some point right, right? Like, <laughs> yes yeah. <laughs> it's not gonna magically happen yeah right yeah, it's, yeah exactly yeah good stuff uh anything else you want to touch on with um i guess like any any like upcoming projects or stuff with your alchemist dentist that um upcoming like any podcasts any talks any anything yeah can look so, forward to? um so i've just recently done another podcast as uh well that'll sh- should be coming out in july um it's called the white coat academy um and then i will have an imposter phenomenon um, workshop starting. I haven't solidified dates. The original date was mid June, but I've got to postpone that, um, a little bit. So it'll most likely be beginning of uh, towards the end of July, beginning of August will be the new date. And what I, or what it is, is, is a four week program of essentially conquering and managing that mindset. And so that's the goal. So um, if you're interested, you can check it out. It's on my website at Dr. Be in person or I guess virtual or like it's going to be, it'll be virtual. Okay, <laughs> it'll be virtual. So it'll be, there'll be a description up there of, uh, what the workshop will be. Cool. Um, and it's a limited seating, um, with it as well. Uh, cause I like stuff being interactive. Um, but if you're always, I'm, always up for coaching. So if anyone's interested for one-on-one coaching in regards to imposter phenomenon and trying to change those thought processes, um, I'm also doing that as well. And you can sign up for a time on my website as well. Good stuff. So I'll put a, if you can send me a link to the White Coat Academy episode when it comes out and yeah. when you have your dates and stuff finalized and links and things for the workshop, let me know and I can post it in the show notes. And Amazing. The episode as well. That'd be great. Thank you so much yeah. for coming on. That was a great chat. I think, uh, yeah. it's, it's, you know, I, I listened to like all these other guys doing podcasts and they're always like, oh, it's like free therapy. So I was like, <laughs> so that was pretty good to like, you know, implement some thoughts and get some answers and yeah, things like yeah, that yeah, yeah. i'm like you're jotting notes down for yourself or to ask questions <laughs> I, I love it. I love it. that's awesome there's no doodling going on here it's not very serious <laughs> No, I could tell, I can tell when someone, it's funny, you do enough Zoom stuff, like yeah. especially COVID era, you can tell when someone's doodling, someone's off like reading stuff or like definitely not in the meeting. And, yeah. and so you can tell that like when you were actively like you were, <laughs> that's awesome. I love it. <laughs> yeah, hey, I, gotta, I gotta get some value out of it too, right? <laughs> percent that's the whole point of doing these things yeah, too right? yeah you it's, definitely not, it's not all community that. service so yeah <laughs> love it excellent thanks for coming on thank you for tuning in for another episode of the newbie dentist podcast please be sure to subscribe and head over to itunes and give the show a five-star rating For all show notes and to access all previous episodes, head over to www.newbedentist.com. Have a great day.